reading today is from Psalm 88, a song, a song of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonis, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, you have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Thank you, Travis, for reading. Let's start this morning by going to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, God of our salvation, we do need you this morning. And we cry out to you. We often find ourselves in a spot just like this. Maybe... Maybe some of us aren't here today, maybe some of us are here today, but we all know what this is like. And so we ask that you would provide encouragement and hope this morning from your word, and that you would provide instruction. Teach us, Lord, how to bring our emotions to you, how to bring our complaint to you. So help us as we look at this text this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we are uh, continuing our series through prayer this month and praying the Psalms. And so far, we've looked at seeking God's purpose, confessing our sin. We've looked at trusting in God's help and how He keeps us and asking Him to work. And today, we're going to look at crying out in despair. We're looking at a psalm of lament. And so the question we want to ask this morning is how should a Christian, how should a follower of Jesus cry out to God when we're hurting? And I just want to warn you this morning right off the bat that this is this is a little bit more of a heavy discussion this morning because this is a very heavy psalm that we're looking at. But I'd like to suggest that even though it's heavy and maybe unpleasant, you know, we don't you know, we like to think of everything joyful. We like, you know, <clears throat> so it might be a little bit unpleasant to consider something very heavy, but it's necessary because life in a fallen world 
means plenty of pain and frustration. And you all know that very well. (laughs) We all get this. This is the world that we live in. And we need to know God's perspective on how to pray when the darkness will not lift. And so let's jump into this psalm here and try to, try to understand what's going on and how we are to do this. So but before we jump in, let me just, let me just uh, a few things. First of all, uh, what is a lament? Let's talk about that for a second. What, is it, what does it mean to lament? Is this just another way of saying writhing in pain or frustration? Is, this, uh, is it a synonym for complaining? Um, no, it's a little bit different. It's not the same as complaining. It's not the same as crying. Crying is human. I mean, like I just said, we live in a fallen world filled with pain. So humans cry, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's, just because it's human doesn't mean it's wrong. It's not wrong to cry, but crying is human. Lamenting is Christian. There's a difference. Crying is human. Lamenting is Christian because lamenting is crying to God. It's complaining to God. It's bringing my pain and my frustration to God. And in this psalm, we find a man who is despairing, even to the point of questioning God. And we even find him bringing what are almost accusations against God. And we'll look at that in just a few minutes. But what is important here Right off the bat, what's important about lament is that you'll notice in this psalm, he never just complains about God. Okay, every word of the psalm, it's not a complaint about God. It is a complaint to God. Every word in the psalm is a prayer. He is coming before God and he is spilling out his emotions to God in prayer. So lamenting is bringing all of our emotional baggage and frustration and despair and discouragement and exhaustion to God, bringing it to him. Now, there are many psalms of lament in the, in the Psalter, in the hymn and prayer book of our Bible. And in fact, you know, different people categorize them differently. And so depending on how you categorize them, at least a third of them, but all, up to almost one half of the Psalms out of you know, 150 of them could be categorized as lament Psalms. So that's a significant portion of our Bible and probably because it's a significant portion of our life, right? I mean, not everything in life is uh, dandy dandy. Is that a word? Not everything is that way. Not everything is awesome. Not everything is joyful. And so we've got a lot of lament Psalms. And the, the lament psalms include some kind of frustration or pain or regret or some manner of what it means to live in a world filled with sin and difficulty because of sin. But virtually all of the lament psalms end in a completely different way from how they start. Typically, they begin with some wailing and they end with praise. And somewhere in the psalm, the psalmist has a little bit of a aha moment where he either sees God changing the circumstances around him or he sees God doing something inside him. There's a new perspective that he gains or there's something about God that he remembers and it changes him. And so he, he starts with crying, but he ends with rejoicing. That's what, you, what most of the psalms of lament are. And let me just encourage you, you know, there's, there's a, there are many psalms that you could go to to, to try to figure out how to lament. Like Psalm 77, let me encourage you to, uh, to go to Psalm 77 when you want to understand how to lament. Uh, Psalm 88 is a little bit different. 
Because it doesn't, I mean, it starts with the despair. But even though virtually all lament psalms begin in a minor key and end in a, ma- in a major key, this one does not. I mean, look at the, look at the last word of, of, of our psalm here this morning. Okay, it uses this word darkness. Three times in the psalm, we see this word darkness. And this psalm ends, the very last word of the psalm is darkness. I mean, and even that, that complaint, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. In other words, God, right now, it feels like darkness is a better friend than even you are. I mean, darkness, that's where the psalm ends. And so this one ends just as, as dark and lowly, lonely, and abandoned as it began. He's just as confused and beaten up and devastated as when he started. So Derek Kidner, he's one of my favorite commentators on the book of Psalms, and he, he said this about this psalm. He said, this psalm, there, he said, there is no sadder psalm in the Psalter. <laughs> so we're dealing with the, the most sad psalm this morning. But even though it's sad, I think there's some hope for us. I think there's a reason that God wanted this psalm I mean, isn't it astounding that God would actually choose to put Psalm 88? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't uh, censor that one out. <laughs> I mean, if I were God and I were choosing which Psalms were going to make it, I'd probably censor this one out. Oh, that's too discouraging. I don't want to put that one in there. <laughs> but not God. That's not what he does. He leaves this one in there. And I think there's a reason that this Psalm is in our Bible. I do think there's a reason why there's only one Psalm that's like this. But I think there's a reason that this one is in here. Because let's be honest, not every day of discouragement ends in encouragement. Not every frustration ends with exhilaration. Not every pain ends in joy. There's an old movie called The, the King and I. Anyone ever seen, seen that movie? Really old. Um, <clears throat> one of the main characters, when she feels afraid, uh, she sings this song, She's, and the words are, I whistle a happy tune, and every single time the happiness in the tune convinces me that I'm not afraid. And it sound, it's kind of fun. It's kind of a fun song. It sounds nice. <laughs> uh, there's a similar song in The Sound of Music. You're like, Jordan, what's up with all these old movie references? Well, that's what I grew up with, so that, that's, there you have it. Uh, but there's a, there's a song in The Sound of Music where Fräulein Maria sings of all of her favorite things so that then she doesn't feel so sad, then she doesn't feel so bad. And that works sometimes, right? But not always. Sometimes you think about something and it, and it, or you sing a song and it makes everything better, but not always. Sometimes we sing and we pray and we go to church and we ask others for help and we read books and we listen to music and we memorize scripture and we pray some more and yet we put our head on the pillow at night no different from how we took it off the pillow that morning. This is what real life looks like. And let me just say that it is, if this is where you are, this is where you find yourself right now. Or if you've been here and you completely understand, you're not weird. <laughs> you're not abnormal. In fact, you're very normal. This is normal for all of us. Probably every single one of us in this room has been here some, at some point in our lives. And aren't you so thankful for a psalm like this that deals with the reality of life? It doesn't hide these kinds of things. And before we jump in, let me just point out one more thing that I think is very interesting. I think it's really interesting because 
I, you know, I think, um, I think as we think about a psalm like this, I think we might be tempted to think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a Christian, sure, of course, a Christian like me would probably struggle with this. A Christian like me would probably has trouble getting frustrated with God and feeling like God doesn't care and isn't there. But if I were a better Christian, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't struggle with this. You know, if I was a super Christian, you know, like some of those in our church, um, I, I wouldn't struggle with this. Like as if we could like level up as a Christian, you know, you level up and you're, you know, you get better and better and then, then you, know, you never sin and you never have trouble and you never, you know, everything's dandy. There I go. We use it again. But look at the title of the psalm. Do you see that? Uh, it's, a, it's a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's of Heman, the Ezraite. Now, you know who Heman is, right? It's okay, neither did I. Um, <clears throat> I had no idea who he was, so I had to look it up. But it turns out that Heman, um, Heman, according to first, uh, first, according to Kings, the books of Kings and Chronicles, Heman was the founder of one of the most important choirs in Israel's history. I mean, he, I mean, he was the lead singer. He was the lead singer for Israel. I mean, he was in charge of, according to Chronicles, he was in, um, he was in charge of one of the Korahite guilds of music, musicians, and poets. I mean, he was, he was the boss of this. I mean, he was the worship leader of Israel. Here's Heman. I mean, he was the one that was the lead singer when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he was renowned, it says in, in the book of Kings, it says that he was renowned for his wisdom. So here's a wise guy, and that's not a joke, like he really was a wise guy, <laughs> who'd experienced great spiritual highs. He had been a part of stunning worship services. He had led thousands, maybe even millions of people in praise to God, and yet he is the one that's writing this psalm of lament and despair, crying out to God. And I think in this, in a sort of odd way, this gives us some hope. Because if even Heman, you know, the worship leader of Israel, experienced this, these kind of depths, then maybe I'm not so weird. Now, this was, okay, this was a long introduction, but I promise we'll, we'll work through this quickly. The rest of this is, uh, it won't take us very long. But let me quickly show you three things here that I think we can take away from this psalm. We'll look at three things, and then we'll ask a question at the end at the end here. But first, notice Heman's despair, his desperation. And it's not really hard to notice. <laughs> I mean, is, is it? It's like right there. Okay, look at verse three. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to shale. I mean, he's so troubled that he feels like he's about to die. That word sheol there, it was a Hebrew way of describing the realm of the dead. It's, it's less of a like, place that the dead people go to. It's more a description of their existence after death. I mean, they're just, it's the realm of the dead. <laughs> and it could have been, I don't know, it could have been that Heman actually physically was near death. It could have been that he was, he was right there. He was about ready to die physically. Or it could be that he's using this in a poetic way to, to just try to explain how he feels. Like, I feel like I'm about to die. It could, have, it could also be that he's using this in a poetic way to explain how he, where he wants to be. He's like, I, I'm so depressed that I just want to die. And this is where Heman is at. Then look at verse 4. He says, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. He's weary. He's lacking motivation. Verse 5. Like one set loose among the dead, 
like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. The picture here is a, is a guy lying dead in the midst of many lying dead, like on a battlefield. And the idea is that what he's doing is he's, he's beginning to describe how he feels forsaken. He's not just one, he doesn't feel like just one dead guy. He feels like a dead guy in the midst of hundreds of dead guys to the degree that no one even remembers him. No one even thinks about him. Even God is how he feels. And that, this is not, to be sure, this is not a theological, it's not supposed to be a theological understanding of God's remembrance. Like, he's not saying God can forget. He's describing his feelings. He says, God, it feels like you have forgotten me. This is where he's at. He's describing how he feels. Look at verse 8, the second half of verse 8. He says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. He feels trapped. There's nowhere to go. There's no way out. And his eye, verse 9, my eye grows dim through sorrow. He's been crying, not just for a, a little while, for long enough that his eyes have become dim because of how much he's been crying. When he thinks back, all he can remember is pain. We see that in verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I mean, we do this, uh, we do this when we're really, really emotional, don't we? <laughs> you know, when you're really angry or really, really depressed, um, you, you tend to only remember the bad things, right? You always do this. You, you never, and then you insert something that's not really totally true, right? <laughs> But this, this is where he's at. I mean, he is at his end. He is at his end. Such that he looks back and he's like, God, I, God, I can't remember anything. I, I can't remember any good that's ever happened in my life. I've been afflicted from my youth up. The last word in this verse is translated many different ways in a lot of translations. You might have a different one from what was read from the ESV. I think it's helpless in the ESV. But here's, here's how he feels. He feels helpless, overcome, despairing, distracted, distraught, Desperate, one translation even says, numb with pain. You ever been there? It's hurt so long and so bad that you almost feel numb. I mean, here's a guy who feels knocked down again and again and again. He kind of alludes to that in verse 7. He says, you overwhelm me with all your waves. Anyone ever been to the ocean? You like the beach? I like the beach. My family, growing up, we would go every summer with my cousins. Um, and they, we, we still kind of go. They go every year. We go as often as we can with them uh, in, to North Carolina, the beach in North Carolina. And this past, um, this past October, we, we went to uh, the beach and we took our family. And uh, Karsten loves the ocean. It is hilarious. Um, <clears throat> uh, because, like, he'll just, like, he, I mean, he just loves to kind of inch his way towards the, the waves, the, you know, waves. And, uh, and he just, uh, and then as soon as it starts to come up towards him, he just screams half in delight and half in terror about these little, you know, one-inch waves. And he runs back, you know, back to, the, back to the beach. And it's just hilarious to watch him because he just has a blast and it's just, you know, water. <laughs> but he's having so much fun. And, you know, but, but the first time he went, we took him out there, the very first time, he was, uh, he was terrorized. <laughs> he was like, um, no, you're going to hold me. I'm not, I'm not getting down in this. <laughs> and I can remember as a kid g- going to the beach and, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes the waves were like really calm, but sometimes they were really choppy. And, uh, and I can remember playing out in the ocean, and at times, you get these huge waves. 
And I can remember as a kid sometimes getting like knocked over by this wave. And then like, I, you know, I get up and by the time I'm able to kind of get to my feet, here's another one and it knocks me over. <laughs> and then I get up again and it knocks me over. I'm like, okay, let's get out of this as fast as possible. <laughs> but that's how the psalmist feels. He feels like his, the God's waves are crashing into him over and over and over again. Just about the time that he gets up, he's knocked down again. Just about the time that he thinks, maybe I can make some kind of change and it will get, it will get better. Maybe if I can just remember something about God. I mean, it worked for all those other psalmists, right? I mean, they remembered this one thing about God and all of a sudden everything's joyful again. Maybe if I can just remember that one thing, boom, knocked over again. Every single time he thinks, maybe I can get ahead now, he gets knocked over. Have you ever been there? So helpless because you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do to fix your situation. You're backed into a corner. There's nowhere you can turn. One thing after another and you're losing strength quickly. You're losing even the desire to keep going. Is this even worth it? And that's where this psalmist is. That's his desperation. That's how he felt. So first, there's desperation, but second, there is accusation. And this one might actually bother us just a little bit. But let me encourage you to kind of hold on and hear the psalmist out and remember that Psalm 88 is a divinely inspired writing. Heman wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and by God's will, it was included in our, our 150 psalms. And I think it's just amazing that God included this psalm. For, this is one of the reasons, because of these accusations. Notice where he directs his accusation. I mean, he doesn't just stop with, I feel like I'm in the pit. In verse 4, he said, I am counted like one who goes down to the pit. I feel like I'm in the pit. But he doesn't just, he doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 6. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pit. It's not just that I'm feeling wave after wave. You overwhelm me with all your waves. It's not just that he feels abandoned. He says, you have caused my companions to shun me. I mean, just, just listen to these verses for a second here, starting in verse 6. He says, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. And then down again in verse 16, uh, right before 16, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. I mean, do you see where he's, he's addressing his accusations? Heman says that God has put him in the pit. God has overwhelmed him, caused his friends to shun him, made him a horror to other people, cast his soul away, and, and hidden his face from him. I mean, isn't, isn't it amazing that God would include a psalm like this in our book, in our, in our Bibles? But then look at verse 10 to 12, because he's, he's not done. <laughs> Look at these, let's read this again. Verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? I mean, these are just as much accusations as they are questions. He is in one sense arguing, arguing with God. God, what is the purpose of all of this? 
Why do you want to bring me so low? Do the dead and the spirit rise up to praise you? It's almost like he's saying, God, I want to praise you. I want to tell everyone about how great you are. I want to sing your praises, but I can't because of where you've put me. He feels forgotten and abandoned even by God and even asks the why question. Did you see that? Verse 14. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? And I think this is really important for us because sometimes we can feel so guilty for asking God why. But here we have a divinely inspired psalm with the why question right in the middle of it. So what kind of accusations are these? Where are these coming from? I mean, is he, is he reverently acknowledging God's sovereignty in his life? Like saying, God, I understand that you're the one that's doing all this. Is he lobbing blame out of anger towards God for what he has done to him? And I think as we look at the psalm as a whole, he may be acknowledging God's sovereignty. He may be angry at God. He may be confused about why he's in the circumstances that God put him in. But I think what's really going on is that he is expressing his emotions of depression, discouragement, confusion, losing hope, and ultimately desperation. He's just pouring out to God. One guy put it this way. He said, looking back, this man can remember nothing but ill health and ill fortune. Looking Godward, he is terrified. Looking for human comfort, he can see no one at all. He is out of options and all but completely out of hope. But there's one more thing that we need to pick up from this psalm because there's almost nothing positive in this psalm, almost nothing. But if you look closely, we see something very important, very important to this man's desperate cry. What we see is dedication. So desperation, accusation, but dedication. I mean, look how the psalm opens in verses 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Look at verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Look at verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. I mean, this is a desperate man. This is a man who feels like God has forgotten him. He has complaints against God. He asks the why questions. And these things are okay. It is okay to wrestle with God. It is okay to ask the why question if we are bringing our complaint and our questions to God. Remember, we said he never complains about God. He complains to God. And that means that this is not a distrusting, vehement, and rebellious complaining and questioning. I mean, there's, there's a difference, isn't there? And we know the difference. Instead, it is a dependent and a trusting complaining and questioning. He is casting all his cares on the Lord Again, 
Even though he has prayed a hundred times and feels like there is no, that nothing has been accomplished, he will pray again. He will cast his care on God again. He will bring his question to God again. He will bring his complaints to God again. So there's accusation, but he's bringing it to God, before God. He's broken and battered, but he knows that his only hope is still God. And that's why he comes back to God again in prayer. And I think this is, there's something for us to learn here. Because when you are completely discouraged and you don't see a way out, when you feel utterly forsaken and hopeless, bring your complaint to God again. Though it may seem like God has forgotten you, he remains as much as ever your only hope of rescue. And so come back to him again. Cry out to him again. Be real and raw. You don't have to hide your emotions. You don't have to suppress your emotions. You don't have to disregard your emotions. You can bring, we have, we have a God who calls us to bring our emotions to him, to pour ourselves out to him because he wants to hear. And before we close, I think there's a question that we should ask ourselves. And it's this, why this psalm? I mean, do you, do you ever read something like this and ask, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> you should, that's a good question to ask. It's actually a really good question to ask. Because if, if all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, then what is it profitable for? What is Psalm 88 profitable for? Or in other words, if we did not have Psalm 88, in our Bible. What would we be missing? What is it here for? And I think there's probably several reasons. Probably several. First, I think it speaks to the reality of life in a world filled with sin. I mean, everyone in the U.S. keeps telling us that you deserve all kinds of things. And I think as, as uh, especially American Christians, this thinking of, of deserving drips very deep in us. And we think that we deserve lots of things. We think we deserve to feel good. We deserve to look good. We deserve a comfortable life. Uh, Shane and I sometimes do some workout videos together, and it's, uh, it's always hilarious to me um, how they talk. They're always like, you deserve this. You know, you've worked really hard. You deserve you deserve to look good. You deserve to feel good. Why don't you pat yourself on the back? Because you deserve this. You deserve a rest. But first of all, that's not true. <laughs> because every one of us participates in sin. So we deserve nothing better than the just condemnation of God. That's really what we deserve. So it's first of all not true. But, but secondly, it's, it's actually extremely misleading. Because not every story of real life has a happy ending, does it? Not every song ends with a major chord. And so this psalm speaks to the reality of life. This is what real life looks like. And I think this is important because, you know, a lot of religions will try to tell you all the good things about their religion. Like, this is great, and this is great, and this is great, and this is great, and this is why you should follow us. Um, so they just declare all the good things about their religion. And there is a lot that is good. And, and the end, you know, if you read, read to the end, you realize we win, okay? We, God wins. This is a good book, and it will do amazing things for your life. But at the same time, God's word does not hide the difficulties of life. 
it embraces them and it explains them and it gives hope in the midst of them. So I think this is important that it speaks to the reality of life. But second, it encourages us to not give up. Even though life is hard and even though it sometimes feels like God is not listening. I mean, sometimes it feels like that. You know, sometimes our waves, you know, our discouragement, it comes from circumstances outside of us. Sometimes our discouragement comes from what's going on inside my heart. And the deepest darkness is when it's coming from both. Life outside is miserable. Things are hard. And God seems to be nowhere present. My heart is empty. But don't give up. Even though it, it may feel like God is not listening, it is worth it to keep crying out. The psalmist finishes his prayer and has nothing changed for him. And that's where we often find ourselves too. But he doesn't give up. He cries out to God again. Third, I think there's an important lesson to learn here about how God uses difficulty to produce hope, not just for yourself, but for others also. I mean, mean, think about this just for a minute. Um, I was talking to Mark this past Wednesday evening, and he made a comment. He said, experience often comes at a price. I think it's true. I mean, we love the benefits of experience, don't we? (laughs) Everyone likes the benefits of experience. We love to have deep words to share with someone else. We love to be a good and wise counselor. We, I mean, we love to have, a, a, you know, just a beautiful song that's written. We love to, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. We, we love the, the, the benefits of wisdom. We love the benefits of experience, but we don't really like the path that's required to get there. <laughs> because usually, if you're going to learn wisdom, usually you have to fail. If you're going to learn experience, if you're going to be an experienced person, usually you have to have a bad one or many bad ones, right? And no one likes that. No one likes to have, that, have the bad experience. No one likes to have the difficulty of failing. But sometimes the most deep and meaningful pieces of wisdom, the most moving songs, the most hope-filled messages come from those who have been the lowest because they get it. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that Heman the Ezraite had absolutely no clue, had, would not have even thought a possibility that 2,500 years later, you know, millions of people would be affected by this psalm. I, I think he probably had no clue I mean, this is probably like his journal, like hoping that no one would ever read this one. <laughs> you know, everyone's got those pages in their journals, right? I don't want anyone to read this one. He had no clue. But yet for 2,500 years, God's people have been reading this psalm and have experienced great encouragement and hope from it. And sometimes in your lowest points, in the crucible of despair, God is forging a soul that understands hurt, and one that can become a sweet and refreshing oasis in another soul's desert. And then let me just end with this. Darkness is the final word 
for Heman's psalm. But it's not the final word for Heman. I mean, he felt forsaken by God, but he was not forsaken by God. He felt like he had been cut off, but he had not been cut off. No child of God has ever truly been forsaken by God except one. I mean, Heman clearly wasn't cut off, was he? Because, I mean, we're reading his work right now. I mean, so God didn't forget him. God put his very words in our Bible, and we are studying it this morning. So God did not forget him. God did not cut him off. And I think there's something dreadfully beautiful here in this psalm. Because just look, for, look at verse 5 for a second. He says, like one set loose among the dead, this is how I feel, says Heman, like slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. He feels cut off from God. Now, there's another time that our Old Testament uses that word cut off, but it's not referring to Heman. It's actually, Isaiah uses this word. In chapter 53, Isaiah says this. He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus. And what does he say? By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? No, Heman was not cut off from God, but someone else was. In Psalm 22, David prays these familiar words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I mean, David and Heman both felt like they were forsaken by God and cut off from God. And I think it's just amazing. When you think about the New Testament and the the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they describe the crucifixion of Jesus, what does it say? It says that darkness was over the land. I mean, Heman felt like darkness. Jesus experienced darkness. Then Jesus prays these very words. He says, my God, he takes the words of David and he prays them himself. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, Jesus could have taken Psalm 88. He could have prayed this entire Psalm and it would actually have been true of him. I mean, Heman prayed this psalm because this is what he felt like. But Jesus could have prayed this psalm and it would have been actually true for him. Heman felt like this, but Jesus actually experienced it. His own father, with whom he had enjoyed a beautifully harmonious relationship since eternity past, turned his back on his son. I mean, I cannot imagine this. He turned his back on his son, his own father, He let him suffer, and he left him for dead so that he would not have to turn his back on you. I mean, this is absolutely astounding, that God would turn his back on his own son and remember you instead. This is mind-blowing. And so when you feel like God isn't there, when you feel like he's not listening, when it seems like God has forgotten and forsaken you, remember that there's only one child of God 
who has ever actually experienced the full wrath of God, the complete forsaking of God, so that you would not have to be forsaken. Praise God for his unfathomable love toward us. So in the midst of your despair, whether you're here right now, or you've been here recently, or you're likely to come soon, in the midst of your despair, bring your complaint and your discouragement to God and cry out to him again in prayer. Use the words of this psalm. Go to Psalm 77 to try to figure out how you're supposed to lament, but go to this psalm when you have nothing else to say. (laughs) Well, you, you don't even know what's up. Go to this psalm. Use the words of this psalm. Pray this psalm. Pour out your tears to God, trusting in the God of your salvation, trusting in the one who was utterly forsaken for you so that you could be remembered by God. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for putting uh, Psalm 88 in our Bibles. Because, Lord, we confess, I mean, we like to just think about a happy tune. We like to think about something nice. We like to think about your character and hope that it just changes how we feel. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we do every last thing that we can think of and we still feel depressed and despairing. And so we thank you for Psalm 88 that shows us how to bring our complaints and our frustrations and our pains and our desperation to you. And would you use this? Would you, would you use this to teach us, Lord, that it is okay to question? It is okay to hurt, and it is okay to wrestle with you, to you. Teach us how to do this, Lord. And would you fill us with a hope, the hope that is here? I mean, Heman prayed, do the, do, the, do the dead rise up and praise you? And we know that, yes, that is actually true. Yes, they do. <laughs> because Jesus rose. You rose from the dead. And so there's coming a day when we too will rise. Not even death can, can put us in darkness. Not even death can make us forsaken by you. There is coming a day when we will rejoice, when we will be resurrected and we will rejoice with you forever. We will sing your praises forever. And so we thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you that you were forsaken for us so that we could be remembered. We don't deserve this, but we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.